morning, good morning, Sunday morning at 7 o'clock. Can only mean the My Community Plan Foundation now where I'm your host, Reverend Mitchell L.E. Kenna Johnson. And I'm your co-host, Adia Wait a minute. There's a voice in the wilderness. Adia Hayden, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm super fantastic and grateful. I, I just want to know, is it really true that New York, New York is so twice, they had to, so nice, they had to name it twice? It's getting there, lots of <laughs> <laughs> Similar to Chicago, um, having a great time and just, you know, celebrating my friend and her birthday. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, let's go ahead on and give her a happy birthday. How about that? What's her name again? Tiana. Tiana, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Diana. Not Diana, y'all. Diana. Happy birthday to you. That's, that kind of, you know, these engineers are not here to give her a, a hand clap, and we'll, we'll figure that out later on. But the way I sing is proof positive that I should not quit my day job. Would you agree? Yes. No, you don't need to worry about taking up a career and seeing. Well, we a, can handle that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to offer that. There, there's at least one person on the planet that would say, "Oh, you know, the Roger, Roger, Robert Winters and Fall." Um, they might say, "Oh, Mister, you can sing to me every day," but um, that's another conversation. Anyway, um, Joe Biden, how can he look big in South Carolina when he has no opposition? How does that work? You know, I did see that headline come through as well, and I was a little perplexed. Um, but, you know, a win is a win. I mean, the headline literally says, uh, Biden brings home a victory. Mm-hmm. I'm missing something here. No, I guess they just wanted everyone to know that <laughs> even though he was the only name on the Democratic primary ballot, he won. So that's news. <laughs> and, you know, before we get to uh, our, our guest today, um, let me say this. He is not doing as well as we would hope. There are, you may recall, 1,000 pastors wrote an open letter um, indicating that if he did not stop giving Israel billions and billions of dollars to perpetuate open support. A, open support of Israel, to perpetuate a genocide of people of color, that he just might not get the support that got him elected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at this point, we are watching, not only watching genocide happen across the globe, but, you know, the open support of it and the lack of acknowledgement and you know, we can play the whole, oh, there's both sides, it's a nuanced argument, but at this point, the mass casualty rate is worthy of calling attention to, and it, it's not really a both sides discussion. You know, the irony is the people who are arguing both sides are aging out, and the the, the large majority of voting Americans are not feeling that conversation. And more importantly, here in Chicago, um, 30 high schools, those students from 30 high schools in Chicago and high schools around the nation walked out of class on Thursday in support of a ceasefire. Mm -hmm. Well, glad to see the activism starting young. I definitely remember in my high school, um, after the murder of George Floyd, or I'm sorry, Trayvon Martin, Trayvon Martin, they had what was called like a sit-in. And so instead of walking out, though, everyone left class and was in the hallways and kind of sat down in the hallways um, instead of going to class. And just to call attention to what was going on and the lack of response from the United States government. What's interesting is, Quite a few, the vast majority of these young people, um, two things. One, are under the voting age, except those who will turn 18 in the year of the election are qualified to vote. And across the board, the overall majority, even those who do not understand this fallacy, this prophylactic of some sort of nuance. There is no nuance. Even those who don't understand the fallacy of the nuance, 
their position is talk about it, don't shoot about it. Stop, mm-hmm. Yeah, stop this genocide. Don't shoot about it. Say again? Don't shoot about it. Talk about it. Don't shoot about it. I mean, you know, when you're dropping bombs and firing uh, indiscriminately. I mean, at one at one point, um, Israel Mossad disguised themselves as civilians and went into a hospital to assassinate, to conduct an assassination of people they presumed were members of Hamas. Before we before mm-hmm. we leave this topic, let, let's let's be clear to our listening audience: Hamas was no military machine that flew over the walls and created chaos on October seventh in Israel. They were young men who were born in an occupied territory. Their entire life, all they knew was Israeli occupation. Their entire life, all they knew was stopping at multiple checkpoints to get three miles from their home. Their entire life, all they knew was Israel controls the air, the water, the food, and they just decided, can't take no more, would rather die on my feet than live on my knees, subjugated to a group of people who are not part of the scriptorial Jews, but are part of the European Jews. And I'm not going to downplay why these Ashkenazi Jews exist. I'm not going to do all that. But what I will say is this. If you come in my house and some other body gives you my dining room, my kitchen, and my front room, I'm more likely than not to try to beat you out than live alongside of you. That's all I'm saying about that. Shall we move on to our lovely guest? Um, just before we do, I did want to say that this is the first Sunday in February. February is Black History Month. Um, and so it's worthy of, although we talk about what's going on globally, that we do also mention that it's Black History Month here in the United States. It is. It is the first Sunday of Black History Month, and I want to thank you. You know, that Ivy League education really does you justice because you never forget to remind us of important dates and God bless your ministry for that. Um, <laughs> There's that. Listen, we have on the line uh, Justice Cynthia Y. Cobbs. She currently serves as a justice on the Illinois Appellate Court. We want to talk with her as our first guest of Black History Month, African American star word. <laughs> Justice Cynthia Cobbs, welcome to the program. Good morning, and thank you, thank you, thank you for having me this morning. Oh, no, it is my pleasure. Um, I, I don't know whether you've met Adia Hayden. No, no, I, I have not. I have not had the privilege. Well, Adia well, Hayden, say hello, to Justice Cobbs. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good morning. morning. <laughs> nice to meet you. You know, um, I, I got to say, uh, I'm, I'm not even sure if I want to get into it, but I will. Uh, Justice Cobbs, I have regularly regarded you and told you to your face and your ear <laughs> that I liken you as probably one of the most learned uh, jurists in Cook County, if not in the state of Illinois. But the music in the background tells me it's time to take a pause for the cause. This is my Community <laughs> Plan Foundation Hour. We'll be right back with Justice Cynthia Y. Cobbs after this station break. It all starts with one meal, one cup of fresh water, one generous person. Sakat Foundation of America puts humanity above all else, working to help as many people as possible with food security, emergency relief, education, and much more. From Chicago to Bridgeview, California to New York, Cambodia to Colombia, Sakat Foundation of America has been on the ground for nearly 20 years to provide immediate and sustainable aid so people in need can become self-reliant. Visit zakat.org for more information. That's Z-A-K-A-T dot org. Hi, my name is Dr. Nicole Williams with the Cook County Physicians Association. Did you know that Medicaid is covered for an entire year after you've had your baby? 
The year after you've had your child can be almost as dangerous as pregnancy itself. Make sure to see your health care provider and get the care you need and deserve. Are you a homeowner or a senior, disabled or a veteran? You may be eligible to save money on your property taxes right now. Hi, I'm Fritz Kage, your Cook County Assessor. Applying for property tax savings is easy and free at cookcountyassessor.com. Review your eligibility, receive in-person assistance, or apply right now for property tax savings at cookcountyassessor.com. That's cookcountyassessor.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Mike Community Plan Foundation Hour. We have with us Illinois Justice from the 1st District. She is one other, no other than Justice Cynthia Cobb. Justice Cobb, welcome back. Thank you, thank you. You know, there's a reason why I kept talking about or began talking about my personal bias um, to your legal knowledge in a general sense, or more importantly, your understanding of court systems. Um, and, you know, I have great friends, as you well know, in the judiciary. However, I, I, I tend to think your journey has done different things for you than it has done for other members of the bench. One being your work um, in the administrative portion of the judiciary. Do me a favor, please, and tell our listening audience something about that. I'd be happy to, and it's probably only fitting that we're doing this conversation, having this conversation on Black History Month, uh, on, on the first days of Black History Month. So the administrative office of the Illinois courts is the administrative arm of the Illinois Supreme Court. Most people don't know about the office because generally when you think about courts, you think about the court period. But pursuant to the Illinois Constitution, the Illinois Supreme Court, which has authority to oversee all of the courts in the state of Illinois, must appoint an administrative director. There's no if, no ands about it. The Constitution requires it, and the Illinois Supreme Court must do it. And in 2002, I was appointed by the Supreme Court to serve as the director of the Illinois courts, assisting in overseeing, supervising, administering the entire judicial court system here in Illinois. No, that's interesting. And are you able oh, to ahead. balance that uh, with your caseload? Do you have a larger caseload, a standard caseload? How does that work with um, hearing cases as well? So when you're director of the Illinois courts, you do not have a caseload. As the director, you are not in court for obvious reasons. <laughs> you cannot, as director of the courts, engage in what would be known as a traditional practice of law. The administrative director is involved in every aspect of the court administration. And yes, there are some legal components uh, involved because uh, there are staff, there are individuals, there are contracts, there are negotiations, there are all types of issues that the Illinois Supreme Court, as the supervising authority over the judiciary, is confronted with. So it's legal, it's business, it's administrative, it's policy, it's labor, it's everything, but it's not appearing in court. And let me just say this, because you just jumped over this part without even mentioning it. Prior to serving as the director of the Illinois courts, you also served as both a staff attorney and then as chief legal counsel in that office. That's true. I didn't mean to jump over it uh, <laughs> because it did, in fact, happen. Uh, I did that, too. I had been serving as uh, the senior judicial law clerk to our first African-American justice on the Illinois Supreme Court, He's a the Sigma. Honorable Justice Charles E. Freeman. That's right. You know, I had to give a shout out. Phi Beta Sigma. <laughs> On the bench. There you go. There you go. <laughs> a brother. 
There you go. Um, But I had clerked for Justice Freeman as his senior judicial law clerk on the Supreme Court. He was the first African-American justice, and I was the first African-American senior law clerk on that court I was waiting for you to get there since Adia had the nerve to talk about. This is the first Sunday in in Black History Month. You got to have nerve enough to say, Adia, why thank you. This is the first African-American woman and first woman. So you had a twofer. So during Women's History Month, you got to come back on. You're the first African-American. I'm going to get the engineer to give you a a hand clap of applause because that's just worthy of saying job well done. Okay. Engineer in the house. Absolutely. Here's the thing, um, and and Adair would would agree with this, I certainly um, believe. Um, No one really cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And... In your journey, in your legal journey, um, from a law clerk to a staff attorney, from a staff attorney to chief legal counsel, from legal counsel to director of the Illinois Supreme Court, which then gave you oversight of all Illinois courts. That journey is, it's a remarkable journey, but the, the I, I want to say the, the value of that kind of journey is probably one of the most esoteric of values in the legal industry. Well, I certainly describe it as unique. Uh, most individuals oh, like do not... <laughs> I'm not going to take your word from you. I'm not going to take your word from me. Maybe I'll just add mine to yours. So we'll say esoteric and unique. How about that? Because most most individuals who um, find their way to the bench don't find their way um, using utilizing the same path that was available to me. But I really did have a wonderful privilege of um, serving as a law clerk, and you learn so very much. It is not simply uh, rubber stamping or you know putting together papers or showing the justice. Here are the cases. You're actually as a senior clerk on the Supreme Court. You're actually involved in assisting the justice in in resolving legal issues that at that time came to the Supreme Court and um, on which he was the assigned authoring justice. So it's research, it's writing. As a senior, you're reviewing petitions for leave to appeal to the Supreme Court. You're reviewing petitions for rehearing. You're doing research, you're writing, you're looking at law all across the country. Because many of the cases in the Supreme Court doesn't take a lot of them, but many of the cases that come to the Supreme Court are sometimes cases of first impression, cases on which there is a conflict or cases in which there is a lack of clarity in the law. So it's a very, very, um, um, very insightful, very instructive. Uh, it was a wonderful foundation for the work that I now do as an appellate court justice. Not- it's interesting also is um, going back to no one really cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And you have just as your legal journey is is full of nuance and you call it unique. I call it esoteric. Um, so to <laughs> you continue in your public service. In fact, you're on the board of trustees of the Illinois Supreme Court Judicial College. Tell us a little about that. So, um, actually, uh, I'm glad you asked, but my tenure as a board member on this, on the uh, college board has ended. But, um, I was appointed by the court to serve in the, uh, as, as a member of the inaugural board on the Supreme Court's, um, college board. So some years ago, um, the Supreme Court decided that it would really step out and create a college. And the college actually develops overseas education program and continuing judicial education for all of the judges in the state of Illinois. So prior to the creation of the college, of course, the administrative office, uh, and it continues to have um, a division called the education division, which was responsible for developing educational curriculum with judges, four judges in the state of Illinois. Now there is an entire college that provides that service or does that work for all of the judges. So every two years, 
uh, every judge in the state of Illinois is required to complete 30 hours of continuing judicial education. And I was privileged to serve on the inaugural board. I served on that board for six years as we were beginning to put in place the policy, the rules, the bylaws, uh, all of the components necessary to continue to deliver quality judicial education to all of the judges in the state. You know, Can you put that in context for us? Like, is that revolutionary across the state or um, across the country? Do you know if there's other benches that have that requirement um, and how unique it is to the area? Well, I think every state, and when we were uh, looking at policy and developing bylaws for the Judicial College as it currently exists in Illinois, we did look at other models in other states to determine how they were delivering judicial education. But Illinois really is in the forefront in this arena. I don't know that there are many states, and I'm not no longer the director of the Illinois courts, neither am I on the board, so I can't speak as definitively about this as I might have been in the past. But I do believe that Illinois is in the forefront of the delivery of judicial education. Yeah, I I would. Um, I, I think, generally speaking, progressive laws historically have emanated from the West, California specifically. In California, mm-hmm. whether it's property tax, whether it is um, uh, family law, uh, elder law, all of those things generally emanate West coming East. But then you have Illinois. Illinois is a unique state, whether it is a county board with County Commissioner Dennis Deer offering legislation or um, um, resolutions for NACO, the National Association of County Officials, or NAPCO, the National Association of Black County Officials, that end up becoming... um, through NACO and NAPCO, common practice for commissioners, uh, county officers around the nation. And then there is our court system. Um, To your point, um, Justice Cobbs, uh, for whatever reason, the progressive nature of this judicial body ends up being replicated around the country. Even Chief Judge Mm -hmm. Evans' veterans court, his elder courts, and I'm going to suggest one of his flagship things, his approach to restorative justice. Oh, my goodness, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. She said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, because there's a long history about that as well, and it's a history that, in fact, had involved the work of the Administrative Office of the Courts, of the Illinois Courts. So way back in the day when I was the director, we used to have something called um, the Juvenile Detention um, Initiative, and it was similar to what you're seeing now called restorative justice. And it occurs here in Cook County, but it also occurs in other jurisdictions outside of Cook County. There is um, this longstanding belief and this approach to managing juveniles who find themselves confronted or in the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. and trying to determine what are the better outcomes for them. And locking them up, it is determined, isn't always, get this, isn't always the best alternative. (laughs) (laughs) Particularly when you know their brains have not completely functioned. Their brains have not reached the apex. Uh, If you know this, if you know that is the case, then they've got to be treated distinctively from any other segment of society. That's exactly right. It, it sounds like you've been reading case law, Reverend. Ooh, you know, you know uh, it, it must. One of my um, elders in my family, his name is uh, Stephen Antonio Pena Sr. He more likely is either watching or listening, or his son Junior, who has a JD. And I'll talk about that when we come back because music in the background tells us it's time to yet another pause for the cause. We have a, a pretty interesting <laughs> conversation with Justice Cynthia Y. Cobbs. You don't want to miss it. Come on right back after this station break. Are you a homeowner or a senior, disabled or a veteran? You may be eligible to save money on your property taxes right now. Hi, I'm Fritz Kage, your Cook County Assessor. Applying for property tax savings is easy and free at cookcountyassessor.com. Review your eligibility. 
Receive in-person assistance or apply right now for property tax savings at cookcountyassessor.com. That's cookcountyassessor.com. Hi, my name is Dr. Nicole Williams with the Cook County Physicians Association. Did you know that Medicaid is covered for an entire year after you've had your baby? The year after you've had your child can be almost as dangerous as pregnancy itself. Make sure to see your health care provider and get the care you need and deserve. Hello, this is Karen Carruthers, my Community Plan Foundation Nutritionist, coming to you today on this awesome Sunday with your generational health tip. I'd like to talk to you about the benefits of eating oatmeal. Oatmeal is naturally and nutritionally rich. It has more protein than most grains, and it also has numerous vitamins and minerals. It contains antioxidants and soluble fiber. And that soluble fiber aids in promoting regular emptying of the bowel and prevents constipation. Also, there's so many different varieties and different ways that you can make oatmeal. Oatmeal cookies, you can cook your oatmeal for breakfast in the morning, you can sprinkle a few oats in your morning smoothie, and also make sure you're getting in plenty of water and exercise as well as rest on a daily basis. This is Karen Carruthers, my Community Plan Foundation Nutritionist. Thank you. It all starts with one meal, one cup of fresh water, one generous person. Sakat Foundation of America puts humanity above all else, working to help as many people as possible with food security, emergency relief, education, and much more. From Chicago to Bridgeview, California to New York, Cambodia to Colombia, Sakat Foundation of America has been on the ground for nearly 20 years to provide immediate and sustainable aid so people in need can become self-reliant. Visit Zakat.org for more information. That's Z-A-K-A-T dot org. Welcome back. Welcome back to my Food Plan Foundation Hour. We have with us on the phone the Honorable Justice Cynthia Cobbs. Welcome back to the program, Justice Cobbs. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so we actually have a caller with us on the line today. A, another question. Uh, Dave from California, what is your question for the Justice? Oh, uh, a few years ago, this is probably as many as 10 years ago, California had uh, a lot more Republicans in the legislature, and they were trying to starve the courts. And they set it up so that the uh, courts had to close on Fridays, that the various uh, duties of the courts were shuffled over to adjoining counties. And uh, in order to, to do a simple, uh, a simple filing in some rural counties, they had to drive 200 miles uh, just to go to another adjoining court just to get a, a simple task done. And I'm wondering if you're noticing that in Illinois, uh, if the Republicans are trying to sabotage the courts and, and starve it. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Well, well again, I'm not, I'm no, I'm no longer the director of Illinois courts, and so I don't know quite what might be happening in that arena. But I will say this: there is uh, in Illinois, and I suspect also in California, uh, a constitution that provides for separation of powers. So, um, the judiciary here in Illinois, and I think in California as well, stands or sits as the third co-equal branch of government. And what that means is generally uh, the judiciary decides what is best for the judiciary in terms of how documents are filed. In fact, our Supreme Court has implemented e-filing in our court systems here. So more often than not, unless you don't have the capability to e-file, you don't have to drive to a courtroom to file your to a courthouse to file your documents. But I would also say that we have a strong legislative branch. Um, and when I was at least the director, there was 
was a um, a positive working relationship between the judicial branch and the legislative branch. So I don't know that that's happening here in Illinois, but I would suspect that if it were, I'd have heard about it by now. But you, you know, but to Dave's point, the funding apparatus for the courts, are, are those funds coming from the county government or uh, do the court systems have a separate and distinctive uh, funding lane? So there, there is a, um, there is maybe more than one answer to that question. So all of the judges Spoken in the state like of Illinois, appellate justice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love it when I sound like that. <laughs> But all of the judges in the state of Illinois are really um, uh, referred to and are state court judges. And so they are paid out of the state court's budget, the Supreme Court's budget. Annually, the Supreme Court appears before the legislature just as every other entity that um, relies on general revenue funds. And it makes a budget request. Now, that is that aspect. But in every county in which we have a courthouse, let's just take Cook, you will recall that Chief Judge Evans annually must appear before the county board because those court facilities, the houses that those courts sit in, are actually funded out of county funds. Yes. So wait, 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 wait. You just said I would recall. And yes, I do recall. But you got to make sure our listening audience understands. You can't rely on Reverend Johnson's vast and unending curiosity and knowledge. That's not going to help nobody. <laughs> it won't help anybody. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, 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 all right. Well, then if, if, it's a, if it's a little known fact, let it be a known fact now that annually, just like the Supreme Court, and generally it is the Chief Justice, and it used to be when I was the director, the Chief Justice, along with the director of the courts, would appear before the state legislature and make our budget request for those court facilities that are under the Supreme Court's auspices. So I said that the county courthouses like the Cook County Circuit Court and those buildings are really um, funding for the for those utilities, if you will, those facilities comes out of the county's budget. But for the Supreme Court's buildings and its offices, those are funded out of the, um, the general revenue fund. So monies for support for the courts comes from a couple different sources. So, go ahead, Adia. Adia, I can't hear you. I can't hear you, Adia. Uh, hello? There you go. Yeah, so that is the source of the funds. Who's responsible for the day-to-day management um, and who sets the operating budget, like who is the one who then goes on to decide, okay, we can, you know, afford to spread the money over here and a little bit over there. How does that get disseminated? So again, um, you're dealing with a duality of systems. So if it's the Supreme Court's budget and there are certain certain items that are in the Supreme Court's budget, for, for instance, and I'm really putting back my director's hat on, so, for instance, in the Supreme Court's budget, um, the budget allocation includes money for judicial salaries. It includes money for judicial law clerks. It includes money for salaries for um, uh, support staff. It includes money for facilities that the court needs to rent. For instance, when justices um, – we have seven justices on the Illinois Supreme Court. All of them do not – have offices in Cook County. They office within the district in which they um, were elected. So you may be renting space for justices who are not uh, in a court facility, unlike in uh, Cook County, where we sit at 160 North LaSalle, as do the three Supreme Court justices from our district. So it really does depend on um, what what function you're uh, talking about having funding for. If we're talking about judicial education, because the Supreme Court has authority over that, 
that's in the Supreme Court's budget. If you're talking about facilities or, you know, things that, that, that happen in a circuit court building, that's likely the circuit court judge who is administering and managing a budget that's been approved by the county board. And so the next time you all have President Tony Preckwinkle on, invite <laughs> Chief Judge Tim Evans, and you all can have a conversation about how all that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, and, I've, I've, and on that Sunday, we'll be sure to have popcorn because it will be Sparks flying. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our elected officials accountable. Is that, is that what it is? Ask questions, continuing to ask questions and be involved in local government. You sound sure. like you sound sure. like Karen Yarbrough. You know what she says: democracy is not a spectator sport. <laughs> and she's right. <laughs> she's she right. And, you she's know, right. The, the things that they advocated for um, as they start to bubble up are things that we speak up for. So our elected officials don't know what we care about unless we tell them. Which is exactly well, why we have Justice Cobbs here in the program today. That's right. And and that's great. And it's wonderful that you say that or that you raise that or that you point it out because, and I'm not going to get ahead of um, Reverend Mitchell because that's, it's not my show. I'm just a guest here. But as you know, we're in an election cycle. So you're seeing a lot of um, elected officials and individuals who seek to be elected officials out and about trying to make their case or trying to meet with the constituents to find out what their concerns are and what their issues are. Judges can't do a lot about it, but we're out there with other elected officials listening to our constituencies as well. Well, I, I know Adia has a slew of questions for you about some of your work off the bench, but I got to jump in and say that just ain't true. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, justices specifically, I'm going to argue that the, the appellate court justices are the most important of the system of judges, of, of benches rather, in any judiciary. And here's why I say this. You have an absolute right to appeal to the appellate court. So they have the mm-hmm. opportunity to actually tell the community, this is what that law means. I know you're reading what it says, but this is what it means. And that is the end of that conversation. Why is it the end? Because the Supreme Court does not have to take course, take cases. It can decide mm-hmm. your case has already been settled and we got other things to do. But the appellate court, you, you don't have that authority. If someone files an appeal, it will, it will be heard by that three-judge panel. Now, the bigger problem, and I don't know whether you can opine on this, is if you don't have diversity on those three-judge panels, you're liable to get the same old foolishness that black and brown and women have had to live under. But when you start having diversity on that three-judge panel, you're likely to get justice as its orientation and origination suggested. And that's my sermon for the morning. Well, you know you can preach. I can't. <laughs> but but I can but I can speak uh and actually affirm what you said with respect to access to the courts or accessibility. You're absolutely right, Reverend Mitchell. If you lose in the trial court, you have thirty days to tell us by filing your notice of appeal that you're appealing what happened in the trial court and we don't say maybe so. All we get to say is you timely filed your notice of appeal. We must hear it. And um, Reverend Mitchell is right again with the Supreme Court. Not again. You don't get to tell them. You know, I'm so right. I, I, I just might go ahead and get me another job if I'm so right. You know, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because the dear head is over there probably scratching her head like I wish he would shut up right now. <laughs> well, right is right. Microphone. <laughs> right, right is right, and we do recognize who has the mic, right, and who has the mute button. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I believe the music is telling us all to mute. I know. I hear music. Yes. <laughs> As we go into our last commercial break, uh, this is the My Community Plan Foundation Hour, and we'll be right back after the station break.
It all starts with one meal, one cup of fresh water, one generous person. Sakat Foundation of America puts humanity above all else, working to help as many people as possible with food security, emergency relief, education, and much more. From Chicago to Bridgeview, California to New York, Cambodia to Colombia, Sakat Foundation of America has been on the ground for nearly 20 years to provide immediate and sustainable aid so people in need can become self-reliant. Visit zakat.org for more information. That's Z-A-K-A-T dot org. Hi, my name is Dr. Nicole Williams with the Cook County Physicians Association. Did you know that Medicaid is covered for an entire year after you've had your baby? The year after you've had your child can be almost as dangerous as pregnancy itself. Make sure to see your health care provider and get the care you need and deserve. Are you a homeowner or a senior, disabled or a veteran? You may be eligible to save money on your property taxes right now. Hi, I'm Fritz Kagey, your Cook County Assessor. Applying for property tax savings is easy and free at cookcountyassessor.com. Review your eligibility, receive in-person assistance, or apply right now for property tax savings at cookcountyassessor.com. That's cookcountyassessor.com. to the Mike Amino Pan Foundation Hour. I'm your host, Reverend Mitchell L.E. Kenna Johnson. And I'm your co-host, Adia With us, we have on the phone, the always animated, never too shy to be by, <laughs> Justice <laughs> Cynthia Cobbs. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I like the animated part. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I, I want to say this. Um, in addition to uh, a, a wonderfully a substantive legal career prior to being on the bench, you continue um, to be active in community. Everything from oh, yeah. um, the, the Cook County Bar Association's Kenneth Wilson Award, uh, Sweet Holy Spirits Justice of the Year Award, and who can forget top ladies of distinction crime from Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity's Crescent Moon Award, past oh, IJC <laughs> Illinois Judicial Council Chairperson Award, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on and on uh, about two things. One, your journey is storied, and I'm going to call it esoteric in and of itself. Um, and then you have the honor of being the first African-American woman in that space. But you nonetheless continue to volunteer in and around uh, Cook County, whether it is your work with the homeless uh, to your work with um, your alma mater, that is the Chicago Kent School of Law, College of Law, rather, <laughs> um, which has the distinction of being the first digital, virtual, mute courtroom in the nation. Well, it is that now, but let, let me just say to you, and I'm not going to tell you what year, y'all can read a resume, but let me just say to you, um, that, that courtroom didn't exist when I was in law school. So. <laughs> we didn't have such a courtroom as that when I was there. Uh, it, it's wonderful, and if you've ever gone to the law school lately, um, which is down on Adams, it is just a wonderful facility. It is so state-of-the-art. It is just such... Um, I would have loved to have gone to law school in that in that building. I'm not discounting the value of the law degree that I uh, I received and the training that I, I, um, I got there at Chicago Kent, but uh, I didn't get it in that wonderful building. I did get it, but I didn't get it in that state of the art building. Well, the Illinois <laughs> Institute of Technology is on par with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. It, it, IIT <laughs> is one of the worst best-kept secrets in Chicago land. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, in Chicago land and outside of Chicago land. So when people generally, and they always ask you, people, well, what law school did you go to? No matter if it's been 100 years ago, what law school did you mm -hmm. go to? Yeah. And it's not going to change a thing. Um, but when you say uh, IIT Chicago Kent, uh, there, there is this kind of like, where is that exactly? <laughs> so you have, um, unless, you have a little more explaining to do. Unless you're in the know. 
if you're in the, in the if you're in the know, then you understand the value of that education. You understand the value mm-hmm. of that institution, not just the Chicagoland, but to the whole world. It is exactly. an excellent institution for technology. Mm-hmm. And the conversation, mm-hmm. it just is. It just is. <laughs> I don't know how folk... I get wanting to go to MIT. I'm, I'm from Massachusetts. I get Harvard. I, I get that. But MIT ain't the end all to be all. If there <laughs> is, it will be IIT. M- MIT don't have the first virtual mutual courtroom. Courtroom. They don't have any of that. They didn't, they didn't think to bring the law into. In fact, one of the challenges we have is how do we juxtapose law with artificial intelligence? How do we juxtapose the law with the Internet? IIT has been wrestling with that question from its inception. Did I say that? Well, I, you need to be on the board, probably, over there. You know, I, I just, they're, they're I just, probably, I just, they're I just, probably looking for you. I, I just, I just want to dig ahead and hear that because you know all these um, okay. Ivy League students and Ivy League graduates. Oh, yeah, you know. Oh. Yeah, you know how that okay. goes. Okay, so, so that was for her. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll pipe in there and disagree with that because just because I chose to attend an Ivy League university and decided that, that was my path does not mean I discredit any other university. Um, in fact, not only are you know, community colleges, the highly effective at educating their population, mm-hmm. um, but also Black History Month, our HBCUs, our undergraduate yep. programs, as well as law schools um, and absolutely. graduate programs. So, yeah, absolutely. So, let, let, let me just brush the dust off my collar for Fisk University, my alma mater. And for Morgan. And for Morgan State, HBCU. Hold on, that's right. You finished Morgan State University. Look I at sure you did. With your HBCU self in the house. Yeah, we got the Ivy League got number now. <laughs> Finally, I got me a cohort here. Go ahead. You know, it's really the outsiders who hating on it the most, <laughs> more than the inside to talk about it. But one of us brought it up, and it wasn't me. <laughs> so listen, listen. We have an election coming up, and you are a candidate. Uh, for um, the Illinois Appellate Court. Now, that's kind of right. ironic because you've been sitting on the bench <laughs> as an appellate justice for quite some time. That's right. So, that's right. And and if I if I was in the studio, I could probably see the same look that I get from other people when I when when they hear that. So yes, I've been uh, serving on the appellate court as a justice on the appellate court for nine years. Uh, and I, I have some explaining to do. I can explain it. There are a small cadre, <laughs> or is, is a small cadre of uh, judges who are serving in the trial court. Who, from time to time, the Illinois Supreme Court will tap and send to the appellate court to work there. And they do that out of necessity for the appellate court, but they don't choose just anybody. So you you have to have some some capability, some competence to serve on the appellate court. Are you court. talking about my brother, Justice Carl Walker? Yeah, him too. Okay, okay, I'm just saying. Go ahead. <laughs> him too, your brother and my brother, because uh, Justice Walker is, is out campaigning as well. He will be on the ballot yes. in um, March, on March 19th, just as but, I know, will. I, I love so. him to life, and he ain't on the show. So we know okay. Justice Carl Anthony Walker will be on the ballot. Did I say that again? Yeah. Justice Carl Anthony Walker. But we're not talking right. about Justice Carl Anthony Walker. No. We're talking about Justice <laughs> Cynthia White Cobbs. We all know Justice Carl Anthony Walker will be on the bench, on the ballot, rather. Okay. All right. <laughs> and Justice Cynthia White Cobbs is going to be on the ballot because assigned by the Supreme Court to serve as a justice in 2015, and I have served as that justice since then, nine years as the presiding justice, as a member on the executive committee on the court and in the mediation committee, but 500 and some odd written decisions on appeal now behind me. Hold on, uh, I hold continue on. to serve. Wait a minute, stop. Okay, okay, we got a stop sign. Yeah, because, <laughs> okay, you know, in, in this, on this program, and Adia Hayden will agree with me on this, we need receipts. When folk are coming on the program to keep their seat or to accelerate to another seat, we got to see the receipts, as the young folks say. And you just said you've got 500 plus opinions authored by you. That, my dear, and to our listening and viewing audience, those are what we call receipts. I wish my engineer would give you a round of applause because there's a whole bunch of justices who don't have 100. 
They've been on since 2010, and they don't have 25 opinions. You know it's true. I'm not telling well, you to spill the dirt, but I will because I can. Oh, okay. I told you there were certain things that you could say because you both have the mic and the mute. So I, I know I, you I'm said not both. Adina, did you hear that? And has she not said, been torn in. <laughs> <laughs> and that's important. So Justice Cobb's like, I got to tell you. Yes. When, yes. We talk, when we're talking about the appellate bench and folk who have been on the bench, the best mm-hmm. way to look at whether they should remain on the bench is what mm-hmm. are you writing? What are your opinions? Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, mm-hmm. you've got some colleagues running for stuff that have been on the bench for a while. But back several uh, cycles ago, when there was a question of the juvenile court and whether or not young folks should be treated as adults, you had appellate justices saying they should be. And then you had a justices <laughs> from communities where these folks come from saying, what do you mean they should be? Their brains have not matured so they understand what they're talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and you are one of those justices that says we are going to apply the law fairly and equitably across the board. But when it comes to young people, we have to have a different standard. You can't go against you the science. Re- <laughs> I told you you've been reading. You've been reading case law. Now you know. I, you you read a lot of stuff, and and I can tell just by some of the things you say, even in your on in your intro coming onto your show. But you're right. There is, um, and it continues to develop. But uh, some years ago, in the U.S. Supreme Court, there was a case decided by the U.S. Supreme Court, um, People versus Miller, which involved a a youthful offender, someone yes. who was under the age of 18. And the question came up as to whether this youthful offender should be treated like an adult um, for the offenses that he had committed. And indeed, the court recognized that the emerging brain science teaches us that uh, young folks' brains develop uh, or at a developmental stage, which is not quite the same as it is for adults, people who are 19, 20, 21. And so here in Illinois, uh, we've adopted and we apply the reasoning in People versus Miller, uh, and particularly the case that you will hear most often cited, a case that was authored by Supreme Court Justice um, Scott P. Scott Neville, is People versus Buffer, um, which is quite instructive. And um, we, as the appellate court, like every other court, are bound to follow because it is the Supreme Court case law. Uh, we cannot deviate from that. So, and the case law tells us that we must follow the uh, emerging brain science. I got it. Emerging brain science is a great place to put a pause for the cause where um, okay. our hour has come and gone. And I just got to do two things. One, for folk who are interested in you and your campaign, what is the website to go to? Absolutely. www.justicecobbs.com. Justicecobbs.com. And for those of us on the small bus, is there a phone number? <laughs> well, there, there isn't a phone number, but if you go onto the website, there is a, a way for you to um, send an email to the campaign, and someone will actually respond back. Look, um, I'm just going to go out and say it. Justice Cobbs is highly ready, has never not been ready, and 500 <laughs> opinions tell you she is doing the J-O-V. So you got my vote, you got my support, and I hope... Those who are listening to the program have a super fantastic and grateful week. Uh, Adia Hayden, you want to take us out of here? This is the Life Mini Plan Foundation Hour with your co-host Adia, and we wish you all a great start to Black History Month.